0: Welcome to Orange is the New Black, Episode 2. It's your boy Ace Boogie. I'm here with my co-host, Zim Hude. Zim, tell the people what's up.
1: Nothing much, man. Just getting um, ready for a good football game coming up on Sunday, where the Bengals will be going up against the Seattle Seahawks, where they are nine and a half point underdog.
0: Nine and a half point underdogs. That is crazy to me, but... I mean, given the national bias against, I guess, the Bengals, then I can kind of understand that. Plus, we're going into a difficult environment with Seattle being 10-0 in their last 10 home openers, uh, going against that 12th man, going against Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner. They just got Jadeveon Um The Bengals have had some issues on the offensive line, so maybe maybe uh that's where they're getting that narrative from.
1: What are your thoughts about this game heading into it? Uh, I got a lot of different thoughts, I guess, going through it. But, yeah, like you said, it's the it's the national media. It's like a – it's a lazy narrative. If you're looking at the past couple of seasons, they went 7-9. and nine. Then what did it go, like 6-10 and 10 after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fans, I guess, we all know the real, I guess, details of all of this. And every single team has their own uh, small intricacies, but they're always primarily dealing with health. The last year it's very, 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 very important that everyone remembers that they were four and one at one point in the season when a le- like a legit big portion of their team was um healthy. Since so right. Eifer goes down, other guys like AJ Green, and then later on in the season, I even went back and looked at this earlier too. There are games that they were super competitive in the games and um. You had Jeff Driscoll as the quarterback. And, I mean, these are games that are lost by three points to the Steelers. These are games that are are very close against playoff teams, against, like, the Chargers and stuff with a backup quarterback and no A.J. Green in, in a lot of these games. There was one game I really, really wanted to focus on because when you brought up the Seattle Seahawks and everyone brings up the offensive line. Before the Seattle Seahawks just recently got Jadavian Clowney, the weaknesses of the team were looked at to be from a pass-rushing standpoint, the tight end position, and probably wide receiver with the retirement of Doug Baldwin. Them adding Jadavion Clowney, to me, doesn't make them an elite pass-rush team. And that's a big misconception, I think, because the everything that comes along with Jadavion Clowney from the the college highlights and all those different things like that. And when I went back and looked at the Bengals against the Broncos, were arguably probably one of the best pass rushes in the NFL or any of the games from last year. There are very rarely games where you see teams absolutely annihilating them from a defensive line standpoint because of the system even last year where laser was a quick get-the-ball-out-your-hands type of offense. And that's exactly what you're going to see on Sunday. You're going to see a ton of screens bunch formations, and a lot of motion that's going to be built in to confuse the linebackers, which is the strongest point of the Seattle Seahawks. But make no mistake about it, Jadavion Clowney or any of the guys that you could name from their defensive front shouldn't be able to impact the game like in the way that I think the national media or the average fan is probably thinking because of the quick pass system, the screen game, and the ability to run with Joe Mixon. I totally agree
0: with that. I think another thing that I just thought about yesterday is uh the Seahawks don't know anything that the Bengals are going to do. They've been trying to go through Rams uh, tape. They've been going through the preseason. Pete Carroll himself, as you posted earlier on your IGZM, said that they basically – didn't show anything in preseason. It's not anything similar to what the Rams did. So the Bengals and Zach Taylor has the advantage of being familiar with an opponent with him coming from the NFC West. This is a team that he's very familiar with. And I think that it's funny uh, that Bobby Hart came out and said that nothing uh, really really uh, concerns him about this team when I went back and looked at the Rams. And you, you mean have, Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner, I'm sorry and uh even though he said nothing concerns him about this team, and even though we're not the Rams, I went back and looked at the Rams game, that was games where they gave up more than 30 points. So it seems to me that they kind of struggled with an offense similar to that, and I feel like Zach Taylor having that familiarity with that division could definitely help Bode, uh and help him create a game plan for this game. Um Now the biggest concern for me, I think, and I think for a lot of Bengals fans, is the Bengals are going into this game with four linebackers, with the team that is a run first team, and a lot of people are worried. Uh, but what are your thoughts on what we can do from a defensive game plan? Because it seems like Zach Taylor is confident in the defensive game plan, and I know you posted uh, about the five two defense possibly being used this morning. But what do you think we do from a defensive standpoint
1: in terms of guarding the Seahawks? I think primarily what you're going to see from them is a base four three defense, where you you are going to get um. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jordan Evans and, and Jermaine Pratt rotating in at linebacker. But then, you know, of course you got Nick Vigil and Preston Brown. In the meantime, the Bengals are going to be looking for linebackers. They even put in a waiver claim that they almost got for the linebacker for the Seahawks that was recently released. But he's more of a run stuffer. What is his name? Christian Teleferro? I mean, I cannot think of his name. I'm sorry, I'm going to pull that up later on. But they, they are always going to be looking for linebackers to fill in that void throughout the season in case you do face a heavy-run team like the Ravens or the Seahawks. And with that said, if you look at the, uh, the Patriots' playoff run, and even when it got to the Super Bowl, they showed a lot of five-man fronts. When the Eagles won their Super Bowl, they showed a lot of five-man fronts. You can scheme up these type of games like that, but to do it on a weekly basis is super risky. Because you're put in the middle of the field at a huge risk. That's why you're going to see things that you probably wouldn't have normally saw. Like, even in preseason, we saw a couple of looks where Lawson drops in the covers, different things like that. It is very risky, and it it leaves you uh, open on a lot of different areas of the field. But from a run game standpoint, and if you're able to crowd the the point of attack on, on the offensive line with the guys that we have, See, it's one thing to do it with a bunch of no-name guys, but to do it with an uh, Andrew Billings and a Geno Atkins stout right up front with Glasgow, and then you got, uh, you know, like an uh, 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 all-pro and Carlos Dunlap and then rotating Lawson and, and Hubbard on the ends, that's a different type of thing that most people aren't ready for. So right. in that regard, I think they'll be Okay. To me, the biggest thing that the Bengals will have to overcome in the game is not the run game because I think they're going to scheme up something for that. I think it's, it's it's there. There are games that I looked at last year where they absolutely lost because Christian McCaffrey ran for 184 yards. There are games that uh, Bradley Chubb um, ran for 170 yards. I mean, I'm sorry, Nick Chubb ran for 167 yards, and they just absolutely got killed. There are not that many games where these, these, like, even the game I was talking about with the Von Miller game, he had one and a half sacks. So, like, bad offensive lines like the Seahawks were, like, a year or two ago, give up five, six sacks, like, on average. Darnett was not hit at all that much last year. He wasn't sacked that much at all last year. Now, the stats are going to be kind of skewed because, of course, he missed a bunch of time. But even when you go to the preseason, he was only touched one time. Right. He was only – and he was only pressured two times. He was never sacked. So I right. want people to realize, like, if you fall into those narratives, like, you're just going to be looking for something that doesn't exist. And then when you see one sack, you're going to say, oh, my God, see, I told you the offensive line was trash." That's not the game. The game is going to be primarily what I've always said last year, is who can control the ball, who can have the more, more snaps throughout the game. One thing that Marvin Lewis was good at very well, and it's something that I do not like, is learning how to not absolutely get the brakes beat off of you. He is the master of managing a game and playing field position and taking very little risk. I think from a defensive standpoint and an offensive standpoint, you will see the Bengals take super risks. Like, I think the analytics are going to point in the direction where – you see them at the 50 yard line and stuff like that, they're going to start going for it. Now, what right. happens is when you start to play really, really good teams, like, and I'm not saying that the, he- the Seahawks are not a really, really good team, but when you play teams like that, you're more susceptible to get blown out. Because when you don't convert on those fourth downs and different things like that, guys like Russell Wilson will make you pay. So I think the margin of victories throughout the year are going to be wider because we'll be scoring more when we do win, and then the losses might be bigger either, because Marvin's played that field position thing very, very well and took very little risk. But this upcoming Sunday is going to be more about the crowd noise and the ultimate equalizer, the play of the quarterback. And Russell Wilson is the better quarterback in this position. So although I went through all these different things where I can go through all these different ways that I feel like, oh, we got the playbook, we got the offense, we got a way to start the run. At the end of the day when the game is on the line, it's Russell Wilson and a crowd noise from an offensive line, a defensive line that has never played collectively together in this in this manner, and that doesn't bode well for the Bengals. Right. Uh,
0: The linebacker that you referred to earlier was Austin Calitro. That was the, the he, Seahawks yeah. linebacker, or Calitro, the linebacker that the Bengals tried to claim off of waivers. Yeah. Um, I think you made a lot of great points there. I think a lot of people are concentrating on the Bengals offensive line, and as you touched on before, although they've lost the Jonah Williams, although they've had a guy like Clint Bowling retire, in my opinion, throughout, This preseason, they actually played very well. As you said, Andy Dalton was only touched one time. The only area that they struggled in that would concern me would be, uh, run blocking. That was the only issue that I saw in the preseason from that offensive line. But you also talk about the improvement that's happened on that offensive line as well at the right card position with us having a new starter there. Um, At the left guard position, I feel like Michael Jordan can do enough there. There is no Alex Redman on this offensive line right next to Bobby Hart. I think that that's going to be a huge improvement right there. And I think a lot of people are concerned because they think that Cordy Glenn is going to be out, being that he's in concussion protocol. I would say that Bengals fans need to wait until what his status is on Friday to determine whether or not he's going to play. I think some of the signs point to him just going through the normal concussion protocol, and I, I expect him personally to be there Sunday, and I think that him going up against Clowney and him going up against Ezekiel Anza and things of that nature. I kind of tend to agree with you. I think Clowney will be an issue. I think that he's more of an issue in the run game, uh, versus the pass, the pass rush game. Uh, but I think that he'll be an issue, but I think that. Uh On the flip side, you talk about Geno Atkins, Carl Lawson, Sam Hubbard. Those guys are going to definitely be an issue for the Seahawks' offensive line. That's one of their biggest weaknesses. That's an area that the Bengals can kind of take advantage of them. They're also uh running with the unproven secondary. So being that you have guys like Tyler Boyd, John Ross, Damian Willis, uh, Tyler Eifert, they're going to be able to make plays against the secondary, in my opinion. Uh Bobby Hart, or not Bobby Hart, but Bobby Wagner is going to have to help out uh against guys like Tyler Eifert and things of that nature going across the middle, um, which I think Bobby Wagner, in my opinion, is the best linebacker in the NFL. Um, but still, that's going to be a tall order for him to go against a guy like a Tyler Eifert or whatever young safety is back there because the last time that we played them in 2015, Tyler Eifert had a field day on uh, Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor isn't there anymore, and I can't even name whoever their starting safety is. Um, so that is going to be, I think, an X factor for the Bengals. Is that they have Eifert, who's going to be a mismatch for that defense. I think on offense, they're going to be able to take advantage of their young secondary. And I also think one of the challenges for them is that on their uh, offensive side of the ball, I believe, like you said, Russell Wilson is an X factor. I watched a lot of their games last year. He kept them in a lot of a, in a lot of games they probably shouldn't have been in. They got some. W's they probably shouldn't have and they made that late push at the end of the season but he's a quarterback that is able to extend plays, he's able to uh, do what people have said that Andy Dalton doesn't do, he's able to raise the quality of the talent uh, around him just based off of his own skill set but they still have questions at the wide receiver position you have Tyler Lockett who I'm worried about but I feel like the Bengals will have William Jackson third shadow him which leaves everything basically on the shoulders of DK Metcalf and whether he can step in as a rookie and make an impact. Um, I expect Dre to follow him, but I don't expect those guys to take advantage of uh the Bengals secondary, given that the Bengals secondary is one of their strengths. You're talking about Jesse Bates. You're talking about William Jackson III. Those are guys that I feel confident in. Uh, what worries me, though, is the linebacker position. Obviously, from a run-stopping standpoint, I it, to me, a lot of people make a big case about us not having more than four linebackers. I mean, what is Hardy Nickerson really going to do? What what difference is that guy or another trash linebacker that we could have out there really going to make? Um, to be honest with you, I'd be more comfortable with us running with three safeties than three linebackers. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't think that that's going to be – uh, something that is really going to hurt this team because I think Chris Carson is definitely a talented running back, and he's going to have some runs here and there, but as long as they can contain him, I think that that's what it's going to take to actually beat this team. You also made a great point about the 12th man. Um, the Bengals are going to have to get out there and put some points on the board quick in this game because you have to take the crowd out of this game early. If you let this crowd get on you with it being a new offense that Uh, a new system, that 12th man bearing down on you, all of the offensive line possibly being in flux, those are things that can, as you said, cause a blowout. So I think, like you also said, they're going to take risks. When you're on the road playing in an environment like that, you have to go for it on fourth and short, right, because you can't allow that team and all the emotion and energy from that stadium to impact the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was saying throughout the season, I think they'll take a lot of risks. I don't know if this game you'll see a lot of different risks, but ultimately there are games where fans are are just clamoring for us to, or the Bengals, to take a chance because the analytics and the news that say, hey, you get on this side of the field or if I get to this yard line and my kicker can't kick over 50-something yards, what does it do to kick it and give the guy the ball 30 yards down the field? The analytics say go for it more than than not, And I think Younger coaches like Callahan and Zach Taylor are going to read directly into that. So throughout the year, I think amongst the league leaders, I think that's one thing that's going to change. It's like the field position. If you have an elite kicker, that kind of changes that, but we don't. So you'll see the risk. Now week one, I'm not sure if you'll see that as much, but it will play a big part, I think, in like the aggression early on in the game. Are they going to start taking those chances early on? and risk getting blown out or something like that. Because I'm going to tell you, if they can't stop the run, it's going to end up like both of those Browns games where Baker Mayfield was untouched because everybody's second-guessing themselves. Those are the biggest things that threw, that that stood out to me last year in both of those Brown games. He never got touched, never got sacked, never got pressure in any of those games. Now, mind you, in both of those games, Lawson wasn't there. This game, however... The one thing that the reason why I think you might see these five man fronts is because the Bengals have to figure out a way to get Carl Lawson on the field other than third down, and that's the number one way that you could do it. But that's not his greatest strength. But at the same time, if you're only going with two linebacker looks and stuff like that throughout the game, that's your op- that that is pretty much your only option that I could think running and like you said, three safety looks and or, or you might some on, on some long third downs or whatever you're going to see some exotic 515 stuff like that we've never seen before where you're going to have like one linebacker in there in the middle and and corners and safeties all over the place because we're so heavy at the at the line in the secondary but you're 100% right too on the uh, on the secondary of um the Bengals matching up well Drake Kirkpatrick matches up well with DK Metcalf, like injured hobbled DK Mav, Metcalf or whatever. That is exactly the type of guy that that Dre uh, checks very well. The one problem, like I was saying, because De- Dre's accessible to double moves, the one problem that I was, I was thinking is maybe Tyler Lockett in the passing game in this aspect. You will want William Jackson to shadow him all throughout the game, but it can't probably happen that way because Tyler Lockett does a lot of his stuff in the slot and the way that the Bengals are going to go this year, we're going to find out early. Are they truly going to make William Jackson a one-on-one Patrick Peterson-type corner, or are they going to say, hey, this is your side of the field? We're going to find out a lot of those things early on. And if it's not that, then you're going to see a lot of B.W. Webb directly on Tyler Lockett. There's so many intriguing matchups, and then when you go look at all these different things, then the the uh, like I was telling you the other day, the Seahawks are just signed... Uh, their full back back just to get him back in there because they're gonna go heavy run, and there's no mistake about it um but there's some intriguing matchups, and when you look at position for position, yes, linebacker and quarterback are head and shoulders above the Bengals, like without a doubt like those are those two things right there i mean could win the fo- could win the football game alone, but when we start talking about like who's got a better defensive front and different things like that. That's where it gets really, really interesting to me. And if those elite uh, groups step up from either ball club, that could be the difference in the game as well. So I'm really, really excited to see it. Early on, if they got false starts or anything like that with that crowd noise, it's it's a recipe for disaster for the Bengals.
0: Right. Uh, I'm very interested to see what this game plan is going to be. Uh, Tyler Boyd spoke to, talking about that game plan last night, saying that, everybody was like, whoa, it's going to be hard to stop, uh, you know, this offense. And it's going to be hard for defenses to register everything. So I just wonder, and I guess I'm going to predict what the game plan will be or who it will involve better yet. And I want you to give me who you think is going to be involved in this game plan. Um, I think it's obvious that Joe Mixon will be involved heavily uh, within this game plan. But I think some of the surprises and wrinkles is that this could be a game where we finally see a game plan built around John Ross. And I feel like that because, number one, he didn't play in the preseason. There was no way for any defense to kind of know what wrinkles John Ross actually provided unless they were spying on the Bengals' training camp, which he didn't even participate in once he pulled his hamstring um, I also think that another guy that could possibly uh, be involved is obviously uh, Tyler Boyd, and I think a surprise could be possibly a Odenton or a Damian Willis. What do you think the offensive game plan will entail, or who it will be centered around?
1: I, I think the the thing with the Bengals that you're going to see this year, and it's going it, to, and I think that alone is going to is as, as long as you got to look at so many games that Dalton was out, and go look at the go look at like the schedule again. Chargers, and then you get to the end of the season when they beat the Raiders, and then they barely lost to the Browns, and they barely lost to the Stills. Had Andy Dalton been there, it just really it blows my mind how the narrative on this team is like so different, because even without A.J. Green, the thing that happened is they started to become more balanced, and what the Rams offense is going to do is going to give them the ultimate balance with the heavy workload from Mixon. So I there's not one person, game plan-wise, I think that they're going to go heavy with. I right. just think they they scheme up different plays for guys so well. When you go look at Rams and you look at Cooper Cup, there are so many deep crosses and stuff that he gets where he's wide open. Well, I don't necessarily think he's better than Tyler Boyd. His route running is really, really good as well. But I think Tyler Boyd is a better wide receiver at this point in his career. But it's about the scheme, it's about matchups, and it's about getting who's got the better matchup. And Andy Dalton has always been really good at identifying that, especially when A.J. Green isn't there. So throughout this game, I just think you're going to see a balanced attack. But the difference is I don't think the Rams ever, ever had a weapon like Eifert or or, or Yuzama from a pass-catching standpoint. Because Yuzama early on wasn't, you know, as uh, a good catcher as what he is now. But his route route running and stuff improved. So those two elements of the offense, too, I think is something different that I don't know what the Seahawks are going to do when it happens. Because they're going to come in with that bunch formation. You're going to get Ross in motion. You're going to get Boyd in motion. And the linebackers are going to have to move. They're going to have to adapt to these different things. And I just don't see how they can really stop it. And it the Bengals can stay on the field, get a lot of first downs and stuff like that, there are many games, like I have Seahawks fans, that many games where Russell Wilson is very pedestrian when guys do not get open, where he's just scrambling around, scrambling around, making plays and making plays, and he'll keep you in the game. But their defense is not the same as what it used to be. So it's, it's really, really intriguing to me, like, on what they're gonna do, but I don't think that they're gonna, uh, target one person on our team, like, Ross or anything like that. I think Ross, I have plays to get open. I think Willis, I will have plays to get open. That's the difference between last year and this year. It was so many timing elements to the route running from last mm-hmm. year. This year, it's more like schemed up plays two options are open. If they are not, Andy, get rid of the ball or, or or take your check down. It's going to be a very simplified offense in that aspect because they work so hard against scheming guys open. So right. you're going to see a little bit of everybody, but games that really stick out to me is like when we played the Steelers and, and Antonio Brown picked off, what was that, uh, Tony McRae at the, um, at the goal line, and all the Bengals fans were mad and saying, oh, that was offensive pass and finish. You're going to see a lot of that Bengals Style like you're gonna see a lot of plays like that this year. Where right. there are plays dedicated to just scheming guys open. So Ross will run free. If Ross runs free, he will go crazy because what Brandon Cooks has done to the Rams offense, what uh, you know, um, I'm sorry, uh, Robert Woods has done to the offense Like all these guys match up skill wise. Robert Woods matches up really good with AJ Green at this point in his career. Brandon Cooks, Ross, you know, what I'm saying Cook, Cooper Cup. Uh, Tyler Boyd, and if you look at it, all of those guys get seventy, eighty catches a year. Right, you know what I'm saying? So it's a it's a really balanced attack with a heavy dose of early, right? So right. I think that's that we're going to get that every week from us, and that makes it so that if someone does get hurt, that you're not relying on certain guys. Somebody goes down, Ferrell Cooper goes down, Erickson's going to be there. If Erickson's gone, you know what I'm saying? Like and it just goes hand in hand. There's, there's no drop off. There are The one thing I do think that they lack is speed because there's not too many speed guys there. Josh Malone, uh, as we're recording this, just got picked up this morning by the Jets. But the guys that we did have that could flat-out run, run, they really aren't on this team anymore. And Ross is like the last of a dime breed on our team. All these other guys are running like four sixes. But that doesn't mean anything when you get out on open field, and it doesn't mean anything when you're running routes and you're you know, breaking away from people and stuff like that. That speed doesn't translate to that. That's a different speed
0: right i I totally agree with you. I'll uh, segue into something that you touched on earlier, which is the media narrative and how ridiculous it is uh with you know national columnists saying that we're gonna win three games, five games. I personally have the Bengals at eight and eight, and i'm gonna I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say, and then I want you to give me what your season prediction is, but I think that you touched on everything perfectly. This is a team that went four and one last year that had major injuries two major players um, on the team. And you're talking about a team that also, as you said, was able to still stick in games with a backup quarterback. This is a team with a brand-new offensive coach that's coming from one of the hottest coaches in the league, in Sean McVay. He's instituting that offense here, which many of our fans have felt for a while now that Marvin Lewis was kind of holding this team back. He inherits a team that, you know, isn't – something similar to the Arizona Cardinals, right? This is a team that has talent. This is a team that could possibly go back to the playoffs that was one or two wins away from being one of those wild card seeds in the playoffs. And it's just ridiculous to me that everyone expects the Bengals to not do good, to be horrible. And this is also a year where Andy Dalton, whether you love him or not, he's in a contract year. So he's going to play at one of – or he at least is going to try to play – at the highest level that he's probably played at in the last three years because his future as a starter in this league is dependent on it. I just don't understand and I don't get why people are saying that this team is going to win three to five games when I think that off of the talent alone, this team is at least going to win at a minimum, in my opinion, seven games. Also considering that they don't have what strength of schedule is kind of, you can't really put too much stock into that right now. But I look at some of these games, you talk about a Buffalo Bills and you talk about an Arizona Cardinals game and things of that nature, 49ers, like like that could be three wins right there. So I just don't understand the narrative, and I think that it's a lazy narrative that this team is not going to be that good. I even jump on a lot of these shows with other fans in the AFC North, and they still feel the same as well. And it's like I sit there and look at Ravens fans like, We've pretty much even through our struggles, we've still beat you guys. Uh, for the most part, majority of the time. So why do feel like? Handedly,
1: the Thursday would... night football game was not even as nearly as close as that score would even indicate. That was a a complete like. I think that game was at twenty eight nothing. Exactly. Like, we're, we're not even talking about a year ago. You know, with the same. You know, they. But I'm sorry to cut you off, Ace. But. I'm gonna tell you the easiest answer for it. Is everybody got better with impact players, whether it was free agency or what or what there was from the draft. So the number one thing that we kept on saying is we want impact players like A Oliver. We didn't get any of those impact players. Even if we would have got Jonah Williams healthy or whatever, it wouldn't have changed the narrative. You would have had to get a Devin Bush, you would have had to get like impact players that right. people know or people believe in that change the outcome of the team. Because we didn't change much of anything at all from a starting lineup standpoint, no one believes that anything will be any different.
0: Right,
1: and we were fourth in the AFC. No, who? And and then think about this: out of all those shows you go to, or anybody in the AFC North, just like we don't really, I, I end up watching their games because I live close to the Maryland. I'm in the Maryland area, but right. they don't watch Bengals games. They only watch it when it's time to play. And the, right. and if you see the uh, L go across the screen. You're not saying, well, who does Tyler Boyd play? Did AJ Green play? The don't no, You just like, no, Bengals lost, right? You know what I mean? Like, and nobody, and the, and the roster didn't change, but the roster was good last year. But that same conservative effort that Marvin Lewis was playing with hurt us so many times. And, and, the, and the other flip side of it is, he probably saved us from getting the doors blown off of us a bunch of times too. Like when I think about like the the Broncos game or whatever. He he was so conservative in that game, and I think we probably lost by, like, 12 points or something like that. That game could have been way worse with Jeff right. Driscoll. Jeff Driscoll still threw two touchdowns, you know, from in that game, I believe, and it was just a poor game all around. Had right. you had a, a, a decent offense in a game like that with the same players, I don't think that game would have been, like, the outcome would have been so lopsided. And those right. are the things, like, someone like me and you would know, but an right. outside person isn't going to look at that. They're only going to know maybe Geno Atkins, maybe Carlos Dunlap, but the average fan doesn't even know who Jesse Bates or Carl Lawson is. Though. Right,
0: which I understand. I get that, right, and I follow the NFL as well. But, you know, outside of the Cleveland Browns, who really improved in this division? You look at the the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, who the national media has going 11-5, and five, they lost two of their best players. They lost Antonio Brown. They lost Le'Veon Bell. They really didn't do anything that was major outside of a Devin Bush, which is impacting their defense. So offensively, in my opinion, they're going to take a step back. Um, they lost their offensive line coach and Mike Munchik. You look at the Ravens. They did no, nothing, in my opinion, to really help a guy like Lamar Jackson. Uh, you went out and you got Marquise Brown, but what veteran receiver do you have there? Like, you, to me, I feel like they have the worst receivers in the NFL. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel like, I feel
1: like that every year. <laughs> they
0: have the worst receiver core in the NFL. Like, I feel like that
1: every year. How many, like,
0: like, look at the draft that we were just, where we took John Ross, right? You talk mm-hmm. about Corey Davis, Mike Williams. It took those guys years to make an impact and you're telling me that in their first year, guys like Boykin and
1: guys like Marquise Brown with the Ravens aren't going to struggle? Man, is- I'm telling you, people drink the Kool-Aid fast. Even if we would have got an Ed Oliver uh, first round or Devin Bush first round or whatever, right? right. I still I would have been a big fan of them and everything like that. But I don't right. think that they're that influential, and I understand the NFL enough to know that nobody just like it, there's unicorns that come in and just absolutely smash the league. You know what I mean? And from a wide receiver position, like you said, the Ravens got worse, the Steelers got worse. The you know, but people just go off of what they saw last. The Ravens won the division. The Steelers were right there with them, right? right. And if people go with history, the Steelers, uh, you know, primarily have won the division. The Ravens have primarily won the division. So automatically. You're going to go with the guys that you know. You know what I'm saying? Harbaugh and Tomlin, too, I will put that out there, are way better coaches than what right. Zach Taylor is because just based off of history, experiences, and everything like that, for what we know right now, they are better coaches. If Zach Taylor comes in and starts blowing out people 42-7 to 7 and we go 3-0, and just like last year when we were 4-1, we were like ranked fourth or something in the power rankings, third in the right. NFL. People right. forget how fast things change, but right. no one remembers that part. They only go by what your last thing was. It's just like music. A guy told me a long time ago, you're only as big as your last record or your last hit record. So right. if you didn't have a hit at the end of the year, and you lost like the way that we were losing the games towards the end of the game with the exception of the Raiders game, whatever, that meant absolutely nothing. Um, people just won't remember that. But we know what it takes to beat the Ravens, I think, and I think we definitely know what it takes to beat the Steelers. So it's these different things that go into this thing and I don't blame the people for feeling that way because I'm pretty sure they're looking at it like who is Damian Willis? Or right. you know, like uh Jermaine Pratt, like what could he possibly do? You know what I'm saying? So it's it goes both ways, you know what I'm saying? In this in and the only the only way you can really figure it out is on Sunday.
0: Right. So, in in conclusions, what is your prediction for the Bengals? I got them going eight and eight this season. How do you see things going this season? Before we wrap up, I am
1: superstitious, like I don't know what, and I never give anyone my predictions. But Ace, I'm gonna give it to you today. I'm in that same boat as you. I'm at that eight and eight mark because I just the the schedule itself. I just think is very favorable to the Bengals, but I just think at the same time they're growing pains. And the margin between a seven and nine team and a nine and seven team is generally with health and luck, and those are two things that don't go well for the Bengals in history. <laughs> so those, right. are, you know, so when I look at it, I'm like, man, I think I think we're at that eight and eight because I think there's going to be two or three games that we're absolutely going to shock some people and be in a game, and I think this the first game of the season right here is one of them.
0: Thank you guys for listening to the Orange is the New Black Podcast. This has been Episode 2. Um, make sure that you guys subscribe. Leave us a review. Um, if you're not following Zim, follow him at Zim Uh Follow me at New Stripe City. Zim, is there anything you want to say before we out?
1: Nope. I just want to make sure uh, you guys tune in to us all year. If you can, go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us a review. You can look it up. Under Bengals, you'll see Hude. Uh, Orange is the New Black. Please make sure you subscribe to New Strike City on YouTube right now. All right, and we're out. Who they? Who they?